Uh, as you have already heard, this is, this is our 15th anniversary, and so if you weren't here in the beginning, uh, just as a little way of saying happy anniversary, if you came in late and didn't hear this, the little chocolate things, that's the reason for the little chocolate things on your seats, just an anniversary gift. I know you wanted flowers, but you get chocolate, okay? Um, so uh, uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we're going to move on. God, I pray that what we talk about today would be in faithfulness to you. I ask God, as is always the case, that what we talk about would be an accurate reflection of who you are, what you've revealed about yourself and about us in your word. Father, I pray that if in any way what we talk about is not, uh, not true, and if it's not from you, I pray, God, that you will not let any of us be influenced the wrong way, but everything that's true, God, that is what we are here for, and I pray, God, that we would be impacted in such a way by truth through your Spirit, that we will be in the process of being transformed to become more like the people you want us to be. And, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So 15 years ago, uh, on, on this weekend, this weekend in October, it was actually, the date was October 24th, 2004. Uh, we, the people of, who were at that time part of our church, we met for our very first public service at what was the Salisbury Township Middle School on Devonshire Road, which isn't all that far away from where we are today. Uh, in fact, I dug out, this, is, this was our bulletin on that first Sunday, just a half sheet of paper, and having read the bulletin, it's pretty clear. I had to make stuff up even just to fill a half sheet of paper um, back then, 15 years ago. Uh, we did not go by the name Horizon Church at first, and that actually was not the first Sunday that we had actually met. We started, there was a small group of people, 15 or so-ish people that started meeting, and our very first Sunday that we met was actually on uh, July 4th, 2004 of that year, and uh, we uh, met in our, our backyard, down in our family's backyard, just a couple blocks away from here. But, but by the time we arrived in October to start our first worship service, public worship service, there were a few couples that were part of that group that had decided that planning a church was not, some, not for them. So uh, I, ironically, our numbers had gone down and not up by the time we first met. But we had invested that first summer in trying to figure out biblically what kind of church, what kind of place we were called to be. We were also in, in a very odd position of having to tell certain people that they were not allowed to come to, uh, to the church, because uh, I had recently resigned from one church, and so there were a few people, a uh, sm- small number of people who called and said, hey, I heard you're starting a church, can I come? And just as an issue of integrity, I, had a, I felt like I had to say, no, that's not right. You need to be faithful at that church for a year. So it was an odd thing to start planning a church and have people you're telling, but you're not allowed to come. I can't believe, by the way, that Kathy Walk has forgiven me for that. Um, but um, nevertheless, uh, by the time we got started at the end of October, somewhat miraculously, we had what I thought was a miracle. We had 30 people show up, 30-ish people show up for that very first Sunday when we met in October at the Devonshire School. Now, I've always thought, uh, to be honest, I've always thought that I was the wrong guy for this, and I know that uh, there's a whole lot of people who wondered about my sanity in leaving a good church, and (laughs) yeah, that's another issue. (laughs) Um, Wondered about my sanity for leaving, um, leaving a good church and a good salary for a church that did not exist and that at that time had a five-figure annual budget of zero, 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 zero. 
Um, but I am, I am grateful beyond words that we survived uh, and, you know, here we are today. So as a way of celebrating, what I want to do today, I want to tell you three true stories that will help explain why we are who we are, uh, and then each of these stories I want to connect with the Bible. So um, story number one, uh, and first of all, the Bible connection before we actually get to the story. The, the earliest Christians, the first group of Christians in the church um, had... Actually, they had multiple crises to work through in the whole process of beginning what we now call the church. Uh, but they had one particular crisis. And these are the people, by the way, this, the early Christians, if, if you don't know, they're the people that you read about in Acts, the book of Acts in the Bible. And they had all kinds of issues that they had to work through. But there was one crisis, one crisis that really changed everything for the church as it exists today. And this crisis makes complete sense if you think about it. The crisis was this. Jesus was Jewish. Um, Jesus was recognized by a whole lot of Jewish people at the time as the Jewish Messiah. Not only was Jesus Jewish, but every single one of his 12 apostles was Jewish. And not only were they Jewish, but every single one of the men and the women and the boys and the girls who became disciples of Jesus were also Jewish. All of them. 100% of them. So when the church was born, the church was very much a Jewish experience, thoroughly Jewish. People didn't think about it in any other way. Uh, there were, at that time, you know, if you went to, if you were part of the, that early Jewish church, you had 2,000 years of Jewish history and tradition and values and rules, unwritten and written rules, that were simply naturally observed in being part of what was then a, a Jewish church experience. So if you wanted to follow Jesus back in those very earliest days of the church, the church was, was, it was necessarily a Jewish thing. How could it be otherwise, given how it started? But even in the earliest days, God's spirit was just relentlessly driving a few early church leaders, leaders like Peter and Paul, to understand that God had a much broader, much grander, much more inclusive vision in mind than just having the church be a Jewish experience. In fact, even Jewish scripture, which we call our Old Testament, uh, called for this grander, broader, worldwide vision for the people of God. And Jesus himself knew this, so Jesus occasionally quoted Jewish scripture to talk about this much more inclusive vision. For example, there's a time when Jesus quoted Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, my temple will be called the house of prayer for all nations, for all people. So very quickly in the early days, this Jewish movement, this movement that was exclusively Jewish following a Jewish Messiah, very quickly they broke down the Jewish fences and outsiders, non-Jews, started flowing into the church. Now, this created a crisis, and in Acts chapter 15, the crisis reached kind of a boiling point because there was a church that got started in the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch was outside of Jerusalem. It was not a Jewish city. It was a very much a non-Jewish city, and in this non-Jewish city, this not, in this church, it, it soon became uh, part of this church's experience that there were actually more non-Jewish people who are becoming followers of Jesus, then there were Jewish people becoming followers of Jesus. So if you can understand this crisis, you can kind of see this coming to a head. You can kind of understand the crisis that's developing. So in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, this is what happened in this church. 
It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, that's the city outside of Jerusalem, it's in Syria, some men from Judea, that's Jerusalem in Judea, some men from Judea arrived and they began to teach the believers in this church, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So you see the crisis that's happening and it made complete sense given everything that was going on. People were saying, Jewish people were largely saying, hey, look, if you want to follow Jesus, a Jewish Messiah, you must necessarily become Jewish first. And it only made sense to them that the way to the Jewish Messiah was through the Jewish religion. But then it says this, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, these people saying that, arguing vehemently against them. Now, this debate was not a debate that was going to be solved in, in Antioch. This was a debate that the church itself is going to have to deal with. They're going to have to resolve this issue, the church leaders. So this debate was taken back to the leaders in Jerusalem, in Judea. All of the leaders at that time that, that were meeting to discuss this, all of them were Jewish. And they prayed and they sought God's wisdom in Acts chapter 15 for a resolution to this problem. There's a long discussion you can read it. It's a wonderful chapter. You should go home and read Acts chapter 15. Long discussion. I'm sure that at times the discussion got heated and it got passionate. And there were some really important ideas from Jewish scripture that these leaders talked about and landed on. And they concluded, remarkably, they concluded that God welcomed everyone into his family. You did not need to become Jewish first, they said, to follow Jesus. And it's a wonderful account, a wonderful transition. And when they made that decision that you do not need to become Jewish to follow Jesus, it changed everything. Everything changed from that particular moment in history. Now, here's the story. Fast forward 2,000 years. One generation, the, the United States was a very different place than, than it is today, one generation ago, say 50, 50 years ago. 50 years ago in the United States, something like six out of 10 uh, United States citizens were routinely in church on any given Sunday, 50 years ago, about six out of 10 people went to church. Every public school across the United States started their day with prayer. How many, how many of you are old enough to, to remember that? How many of you are not going to admit that you're old enough? Okay. I remember it. I remember going to school, standing to the pledge and having a prayer. Every, every school did that. Every president routinely used church language in his or her speeches and in his or her addresses to, to the people. Almost every store in, in the U.S. was closed on Sundays, except for restaurants, because, of course, Christians needed lunch after church. So restaurants were open. But you could not go to Home Depot. You couldn't go to Target. You couldn't go to Cabela's. You couldn't go to DSD. You couldn't go to your local pharmacies. Nothing. Nothing was open on a Sunday. You could say that one generation, 50 years ago, for better or worse, you could say that church shaped our culture. Church was responsible for shaping our culture. So if you wanted Jesus 50 years ago, being part of the church was not any kind of a stretch whatsoever. It was normal. Everybody did it. It was a given. So there's a sense in which you could say that 50 years ago, everybody in our culture, we all spoke the same language, whether you were in church or out of church. The church had home field advantage. We were playing on our own turf 50 years ago. That is not the United States that we live in anymore. 
Now, I'm not here to lament that, believe it or not. Uh, I'm here just to point out that the church doesn't have home field advantage the way we think about it anymore. The church does not. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that bothers God one bit. I don't think that bothers him at all. Because God always has home field advantage. We just don't trust him. We don't trust him, so we don't act like it. But anyway, here's why I tell you this. Back in 1992, I was pastor of a church in what was then Red Hill, Pennsylvania. We had moved recently, in 91, that church had moved from a, a small brick building on Main Street in East Greenville into a school that we had purchased and remodeled in Red Hill. Some of the people that I met in that church have become some of the most loyal friends that a man could ever ask for, better friends than I deserve, and some of them now are, are part of Horizon. So anyway, in 1992, our denomination held a conference, and they asked if our church would host that conference in the new building that we'd bought and remodeled. The purpose of that conference was to help our churches in our denomination understand and come to grips with the fact that Church in America no longer plays with home field advantage. Our culture has changed, and it was time for our churches to get it and understand that. The church and the world, this conference, the people tried to say, the church and the world, um, in the United States in particular, we were living in a world in which church and the non-church world were growing further and further and further apart. And that means that people in the United States who were not part of the church and not part of Christianity, and, and those people, there are family members, and there are neighbors, and there are co-workers. These are people we love deeply. But people who are not part of church were growing more and more and more disconnected from church. And so the church and its values and the way it operates was growing increasingly foreign to people who were not part of it. Now, at this conference, which was intended to address this and talk about the church, at this conference, my dad, who was at that time a leader in the denomination, my dad was one of the presenters. And he was describing the growing distance between church and those who are outside of church. And my dad, part of what he was, his assignment that day, my dad was talking about people who were increasingly disconnected from church, talking about how they thought, how they thought of us, how they thought of church, talking about their values, etc. To this day, I could take you to the place where I was very innocently sitting on that Sunday, on that day. I can describe the carpet to you. I can describe the chair I was sitting in, the windows I was looking out. Because as my dad was talking about people who were increasingly disconnected from church, I experienced an overwhelming sense, not words, but if I could put it into words, the sense was this. This is your calling. Will you love these people for me? It was an overwhelming sense that I simply could not ignore, and it sent me on a journey to figure out, well, how do we do this? How do we do church in such a way that as a church, we are privileged to connect Jesus Christ 
with people who are growing more and more and more distant from church as is. This is exactly the same problem that the first generation of Christians were agonizing over in in Acts 15. The question was, do you have to become part of a Jewish culture to follow Jesus? And the answer was no. And our question 2,000 years later was, do you have to become part of church culture to follow Jesus? Especially if that church culture is becoming increasingly irrelevant to the culture in which it exists. Do you have to become part of that increasingly irrelevant church culture to follow Jesus? And the answer was no. Now, at its very best, the church belongs to Jesus. It's his. We are his people. And at its very best, if you want Jesus, the church comes with it. The church is how he gets his business done. But at its worst, the church is simply a comfortable tradition doing what makes us comfortable regardless of how effective it is in reaching people who are far from Jesus. Now, I know that I fail at this often. I wish I was better. I wish I was better at following the calling that I know at that moment I heard from God. But since that moment of clarity of calling, I have set out to do church in a way that is accessible to people who are far from God, as well as people who have been loving Jesus all of their lives for a long, long time. I freely confess my failure at fulfilling this calling, but it is my driving motive. That was my motive from horizon from day one. Everything I do, from the language I use to my reluctant willingness to tell you the truth about me and hide nothing, to my passion for Jesus and his grace, which I know sometimes leaks out in a shaky voice and little tears coming down my cheek. All of that springs from my desire to be obedient to what I believe Jesus wants from me. To love people and to do church in such a way that people who are far from Jesus find what we do to be accessible. That's story number one. Story number two. In the early days of Horizon, we didn't have a building. And so as I think I said earlier, when we started, we met at a building not far from here, the Salisbury Township Middle School in Devonshire. We were there for nine months. And after nine months, we knew that we were going to have to vacate the building because uh, the building was going to be remodeled. So for the next couple years, we moved from that school building all the way across Allentown to the other side. And we met for several years, several, several really good years, at the Harry S. Truman uh, Elementary School on the other side of town. Now, uh, our church offices, as you know, we, we, um, our church offices, we, we bought a Panera, and um, <laughs> my office was located conveniently in a Panera bread booth in Trexlertown. We didn't really buy a Panera, for those of you who are wondering, but probably after all the coffee I drank, we could have bought a Panera. So we got to the place where, as a church, uh, we were 
we were actively looking for a building. Meeting at the school, we started actively looking for a building. Now, one of our values at the time when we discussed this was um, we didn't want to spend the king's ransom on land and then put up a fancy building. We wanted to do this in such a way that things like outreach and our missions giving, which are always the first to go when you're trying to afford a building, we want to do this in such a way that that would never be compromised, that we'd never have to give up those things that always get cut first uh, in, in starting a building. We didn't want to have to do fundraisers every month to pay for a building. I did that once. I never wanted to do it again. It is much harder than you think to do this. So we had over several years, we had used, we had actually used this church building several times. It was at that time called the Hamilton Park Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. We used several other local churches. Christ on, on Tillman Street we have used. We used other restaurants, we used other buildings when necessary to do events outside of Sunday morning when we were allowed to be in the school. But after three years of this bouncing all over the place, we had grown frustrated and we were praying for a building. And after three years, we started to get really frustrated with the process of trying to find a building. So our leadership team agreed that we were actually going to do a several-day fast and then get together to have a, a prayer session and fast together for a couple hours after several days of fasting. And our purpose was to pray for a building. That's what we were going to do. Now, prior to this, going into this, I, I had actually done several fasts on my own and several prayer times on my own. And I happened to be reading, at the time that I was doing that, I happened to be reading a book uh, called Onward by Howard Schultz, who was CEO of Starbucks. And in his book, um, Howard Schultz talked about how his driving ambition during the years that Starbucks was expanding, his driving ambition was to make each local Starbucks the heart of the neighborhood. And that dream captured me. Uh, this is my journal from that period of time, 2011. I got it out this past week and was reading through this journal for a lot of reasons. And often in this journal, I was writing about that vision because it seemed to me, I have no fight to pick with Starbucks whatsoever, but it seemed to me that rather than a coffee shop, it ought to be the, the church. It ought to be the people of God who are the real heart of the neighborhood. So as we were fasting and as we went into our leadership fast and as we met together um, to pray for a building, that vision was more and more on my mind. So when our prayer retreat began, we began our prayer retreat with the purpose of praying for a building. But as we prayed together and as we talked, we all agreed that God was motivating us to actually ask for a neighborhood. We together truly believed that God was saying, ask for a neighborhood, ask for people, and I'll give you a building. And so we did. 
we ended that retreat by agreeing to pray for a neighborhood, not a building. Two days later, two days later, I got a call from the pastor of this church. Now, over two or three years, I had met several times with the pastor of this church because we used it several times, etc. And this church was in a very precarious situation. There were not many people coming anymore. They had actually asked us when we met, they had actually asked us multiple times if we would consider buying this building. But the deal was they wanted us to buy the building and then rent the space back to them so that they can continue to meet here on Sunday mornings and we would get Saturday nights. That didn't appeal a whole lot. So he called and asked again if he would, we could meet. We met at Perkins. And his opening sentence was, we were wondering if you'd like to buy our building. And I said, well, you know, thanks. You know, we've talked about it before. It's not something we're interested in. Then he said, oh, that's a shame because our denomination is going to close us and they were hoping you would buy the building. And I said, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Just a minute. Now, I'm not at all happy that a church closed. That doesn't make me happy at all. But I remain convinced to this day that when God convinced us to pray for people, to pray for a neighborhood, that he would give us a building, and he did. Now, just to be clear, we paid for it. It wasn't given, but I think you know what I mean. That when we were obedient to God and we said, let's pray for a neighborhood, give us a neighborhood, God gave us a building. There's a Bible translation called The Message. I don't know how many of you have ever read The Message. It's a wonderful translation. In John chapter 1, it's a wonderful chapter in the book of John. John chapter 1 describes how Jesus, who is the Word of God, how he was full of grace and truth and how he became flesh. John chapter 1, in The Message, it has this translation. So the Word of God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And so he did, and so did we. Jesus longs to move into neighborhoods. And, and I fully believe that in our increasingly disconnected world, I think neighborhoods have a certain appeal. I think people long for neighborhoods. I believe that Jesus gave us a neighborhood, this one, I believe there are other neighborhoods that he wants to give us. I truly believe that. Now, how we do that, we haven't quite figured out yet. But if Jesus can do it once, I, can, I suspect he can do it again. And I'm not worried. But that's story number two. Pray for a neighborhood, and I'll give you a building. And he did. Now, story number three um, is a story that actually hasn't happened yet. Um, but I believe it will. I have people in my family, a son, an uncle. I have friends I deeply, deeply love. And they are very far from faith in Jesus. Now they have their reasons some of those reasons I know and understand, and some of them I don't. 
but it pains me deeply. You know, sometimes on a Sunday or Saturday morning or a Thursday night when I am here and seeing you on a Sunday morning, I look at you, people of Horizon Church, and I am humbled and I am in grateful awe of what Jesus has done in building this church and bringing us together. Sometimes it amazes me when I close the doors and leave on a Thursday and the band is playing and there's a 12-strep group meeting downstairs. I am in awe at what Jesus has done in making us. I remember many years ago in a square little brick church building on Main Street in East Greenville on a Sunday morning. I was at that time dressed in my Sunday suit and tie. I was sitting up front on the platform. And I don't know if you remember how in those days um, all the church platforms all had three chairs, like the Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Father was always the biggest one in the middle. I remember sitting in those three chairs on a Sunday morning in a rather ornate uh, wooden platform area with a, with a gorgeous wooden pulpit. And while I was sitting there waiting for church to start, on the back door in the left-hand side, I remember um, a woman walking in and trailing behind her as she walked across the back were four or five children. She was new to that church. Um, later, I discovered that she was recovering from a recently failed rather abusive marriage relationship. She wanted to restore and rebuild her faith in Jesus. And so knowing one person in church, she tried our church. I got to know her and slowly she did rebuild her faith in Jesus. And I got to help with that in a tiny, tiny, tiny way. She and I became the best of friends. A man couldn't ask for better. She had a husband. She was newly married, remarried. Um, I, I would not meet this husband for more than a year. He didn't do church. He had his reasons. Then our church, as I already mentioned, our church was looking for a building and we heard about a school building for sale. He happened to be the man, her husband happened to be the man who was formerly in charge of that building. And she said, hey, my husband did all the maintenance, knows that building inside and out. You know, do you think we're interested? And I said, sure. One day when I was at home, I heard the gravel uh, I heard tires on the gravel in our parking lot out back. I walked to the door, and there was a man coming across the gravel parking lot, a man I didn't know. We shook hands. He had a very firm handshake. He introduced himself. He said, I hear you're looking for a building. I was in charge of the Red Hill School. Do you want to go look at it? And because almost every conversation that, I'm event, that I am in as a person eventually gets around to hunting, uh, I found out that he had a passion for hunting as well. We started hunting together. 
And one day, two years later, he sat in my office and gave his life to Jesus. I could not have a better friend. A man couldn't ask for more. One time in the early days of Horizon, we were still meeting at a school, a band member at that time started dating a young girl. As is so often the case, he was a little bit worried about telling friends that he was dating someone, but he eventually did. We asked, how come you're not bringing her to church? And he said something like, well, she doesn't go to church, and I never asked. But eventually he asked, and she came reluctantly. On her first Sunday, she walked into the entrance of the doors of Truman School and walked straight into the bathroom. (laughs) Baby steps, you know. Um, She didn't know that the woman she met was talking to in the bathroom was the pastor's wife. Turns out that for her, church wasn't all that terrifying, with the exception of one or two eccentric people that every church has and that she met that day. But not too far down the road, that young lady gave her life to Jesus. She's become a friend. A man couldn't ask for better. One Sunday morning, I was sitting in my office, looking outside the windows, getting ready for church, and I saw my neighbor walk down the street on the sidewalk. I often saw them walking down the sidewalk. Usually she was walking with her husband. On this Sunday morning, she was alone. She walked by our sidewalk, and she got to where the sidewalk turns into our church, and I was surprised when she made the turn to start coming into our church. I never asked her if that turn was spontaneous or if it was planned, but she turned and she came in. My neighbors are now part of Horizon Church, and they have become good friends. A man couldn't ask for better. In the early days of Horizon, um, I, I delivered newspapers. It's a 45-year-old newspaper boy. <laughs> Remember, I told you that our church in the early days had a five-figure budget of zero, 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 zero. I needed some income. So one Sunday morning, um, a woman walked in the back door of the church. We looked at each other, and I said, I was your newspaper boy. And she said, why, yes, you were. She didn't know I was a pastor. I didn't know that she was in pursuit of Jesus who was in pursuit of her. But I was a pastor. She was in pursuit of Jesus. He was in pursuit of her, and they found each other. She's become a friend. A man couldn't ask for better. For 15 years now, 15 years, starting in a small circle of friends in my backyard, through all the wonderful ups and through all the lonely, painful downs of doing church, Jesus has given me the enormous, undeserved privilege 
of being pastor of this church, of followers of Jesus Christ. A man couldn't ask for better. But I will. I'm going to ask for better. I have people in my family and among my closest friends who I love deeply who are far from faith. And this pains me deeply. Some Tuesdays I still fast. And I will spend part of the day praying for these people I love because it breaks my heart. But this third story, which is not yet written, is this. Someday I pray and I trust that they will walk into this church or another like it. And another pastor or another church or maybe this one who has also been called by Jesus to love them. I pray that that church will love them deeply and they will become friends. And one day, they will come home to Jesus. Paul once wrote in the letter that he wrote to his friends in Rome, Paul once prayed for his family and friends who are far from Jesus. Paul said, the longing of my heart and my deepest prayer to God is for my brothers and sisters of Israel to be saved. I understand that longing, and it's my prayer too. That's the story that is yet to be written, but I believe it will be written. If not here, then in another church. And when it is written, I know that someday I will meet them in heaven and I will be overjoyed to see them there. A man couldn't ask for better. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this privilege of being part of this church and these people. I thank you, God, for how you've shaped me and us and our church. Thank you, God, for the connections that, that you've made with yourself through us. We are so honored and grateful to have been part of that privilege. Thank you. God, we will boldly ask for more and better Pray, God, for those of us who have families and friends far from you. I pray, God, that you would be drawing those people to yourself. And, God, we would love the privilege of being part of that. We'd love the privilege of you using us to bring, to bring people home to you. That's our prayer. God, I thank you that we can pray this because this is your world. You have home field advantage whether we believe it or not. 
You reign and you rule over this universe. God, we're grateful for that and we pray that we'll believe it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.